Gracious God, let these words be more than words. Give us the spirit of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Generosity comes up a great deal from pulpits this time of year. I particularly loved an annual campaign letter that came from my former church in Washington, D.C. a few years ago. I've quoted it before. I quoted it because I found that the chair of their stewardship committee began her letter with some refreshingly frank words. Here's how she started. It is once again time. It is once again time. The chair of that annual campaign essentially wrote, well, friends, it's that time of year again. We have indeed reached that time of year. The annual campaign kicks off this week here at Holy Communion. Additionally, we have been nagging you about coming, a coming capital campaign for our building. And just last week, we had a visit from our international partners in ministry. So many opportunities to be generous. The Bible conspires with us, and I'm convinced that at some point in times of yore, a group of preachers must have paid off the international committee that comes up with our Bible selections to make sure that we have a few weeks of good give-away-your-money lessons as the church prepares for the budget for the coming year. For when mid-October rolls around, we talk about money quite a bit in church. It's just sort of one of those things. It's that time of year again. Today I want to talk about generosity And I'll talk a bit about money, but I want to talk about more than money today. Generosity is about more than what you do with your wealth. Jesus wasn't concerned about getting money for his church or his capital campaign when he talked to the rich young ruler. He was concerned about the state of the man's soul. After Jesus tells him to sell what he owns and give the money to the poor, the man was dismayed, we hear. The man was dismayed at this statement and went away saddened because he had many possessions. And the possessions keep him from following Jesus. This is the only story in the whole of the New Testament where someone is invited to follow Jesus and he doesn't end up following. Jesus interacted with a great number of wealthy people. Mary Magdalene, part of his inner circle, she was wealthy. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, powerful, wealthy landowners, they were part of his circle. Jesus walked with the rich and the poor alike. He didn't tell all of them to sell all of their possessions. I think this young guy was different. His wealth, his possessions, they owned him. They confined him. The rich young man is a pre-Dickensian Ebenezer Scrooge. He misses out on the grace, the freedom, the joy of Jesus' disciples. He walks away. It is in this sense that generosity matters. Of course what you do with your money matters, but more than dollar amounts, more than donor levels, our interior orientation matters. In another place in Scripture, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God first, and all these things will be added to you. When I meet with couples for premarital counseling, one of the pieces of homework I give them during our sessions is to do a pie chart budget. I tell them that money is a factor in the overwhelming majority of divorces. Conversation about money is essential to a healthy marriage. It's essential to a healthy life. So I ask these couples to prepare a budget to make a visual representation of that budget. 
I don't ask for exact figures, but I do ask to see percentages. In the midst of all this, specifically, I say it multiple times as I assign the homework, I ask them to have a conversation about savings and about giving. To come back to our next session ready to talk about what they are saving for where and where they are giving their money away. You'd be surprised how often couples forget this important part of the homework. My grandmother's generation used to say that before you did anything else with your money, you set aside 10% for your tithe and 10% in savings. Too few of us are saving. We hear the news reports all the time. We tend to think about money from scarcity these days. We don't practice putting a little money away. So I remind couples, talk about why you're saving, for what you're saving. It changes the conversation around money. Why we are saving tends to be a pretty hopeful conversation. You talk about education, a dream house, retirement, vacations. And couples also forget the second part of the homework. Too often in our culture, we treat generosity as a last fruit. We give $20 here or there. We say, I can spare that bit of money. The Bible asks us to do the opposite. The Bible asks God's people to give away their first fruits. Do you have a practice of generosity? Do you have a consistent practice that you start out your conversations about money with? You could set up an auto debit on the first of the month, just like your rent. Pull some money out to give away. Give away a percentage of your income, even if it's not 10%. Do it as a percentage. Give so that you notice. And do it first. Make it a priority. Incidentally, I have this conversation with couples because they ask me to help them plan for a marriage, not just a wedding. I recommend the practice to everyone single or coupled, married or divorced, build a budget. Know what you are saving. Know what you're giving away. When we practice generosity with our money, we do it because money is a measure of what we value. We could all do with a little more thought and conversation about what we do with our money as a question of what we value. Generosity is more than what you do with your money, of course. This week, I was twice reminded, caught off guard, really, by profound generosity. The first reminder came as I listened to our partners from El Salvador down at Washington University on Monday as they talked about the families who chose to remain in-country and sue their government on behalf of those who are internally displaced in the country by violence. Following the example of Archbishop Romero, whose picture is in front of our altar today because today the Roman Catholic Church has finally named him a saint 20 years after the Episcopal Church did. Following the example of the great leaders for human rights, there is a group of people who just this last summer made an incredibly generous gift to their neighbors. Women and men and children who were working with Christosol had been hidden away from gangs and who had received offers to escape, to move as refugees into a safe situation of asylum somewhere far from the death threats of the gangs. These women, men, and children, they illogically chose to stay and to fight for justice. And they won. 
The Supreme Court of El Salvador ruled in their favor that the government must do more to protect those who face violence. The generosity of these poor and vulnerable people to lay aside their own security will provide security and hope for their neighbors. That is generosity. That is putting yourself on the line. Second story of generosity came later in the week. The New York Times shared that Matthew Shepard's body will finally be laid to rest later this month in the National Cathedral, an Episcopal congregation and landmark in the nation's capital. Matthew died 20 years ago yesterday in a hospital in Fort Collins, Colorado, the victim of a hate crime. His death helped our nation define the term hate crime. Two young men, motivated by homophobia, brutally beat and pistol-whipped Matthew on a cold October night, and they left him to die tied to a fence. A cyclist found him, still alive, 18 hours later. At first, he thought the young man on the fence was a scarecrow. Matthew was rushed from Wyoming to a hospital in Colorado. He died six days later. I remember Matthew's death well. I, too, was in Colorado still in high school, and still too scared to come out myself as gay. The story of a young man just a few years older than me, just a few hours drive away, a college student being attacked for his sexual orientation was terrifying, and terrifyingly unsurprising. Wyoming and Colorado, really the whole of the United States at the time, even more than now, had very few safe places for the LGBTQ community. Matthew's death did end up surprising me in the end. The surprise came later. I remember interviews with Matthew's loving family. Their courage and their willingness to talk about their son's story, his orientation. I remember the images of the packed funeral in Wyoming... The Episcopal church that Matthew grew up in was too small to hold the crowd, so they were live broadcasting it in other churches around town. I remember the overflow that happened at Denver's Episcopal Cathedral for the memorial service there. The outpouring of love and concern and outrage at Matthew's death that gave me hope. In the years since Matthew Shepard died, his mother and his friends have given away their time. They have told his story again and again in plays, in movies, on college campuses, in congressional hearings, as painful as the story always is to tell. Judy Shepard and a collection of others have given their memories and their lives to change the way LGBTQ people are treated in this country legally and otherwise. This week, the family chose one more time to give. Matthew's body will rest with other heroes in the great church where we memorialize presidents and senators. His grave will be visited by millions, will become a site of pilgrimage. Matthew Shepard's family have been incredibly generous with their grief, with their story, with their time, with the memory of their son. The liberation theologian Gustavo Gutierrez writes of the power of generosity in the worst moments. Those times when we, like Job, have bitter complaints and it seems like God's hope is far off. 
Gutierrez writes about the people who give their time, who create organizations, who call meetings, who serve in soup kitchens, collect diapers for infants. He talks about those who organize and reclaim respect for freedom and human dignity, who tell their stories again and again, even in the worst of political and economic circumstances. Gutierrez says, these, are, these people are the small but contagious lights that illuminate with their dedication and generosity a dark night. The light is not at the end of the tunnel, but is rather inside the tunnel, in the people who travel through it. These people illuminate the tunnel, and furthermore, they break down its wall and its ceiling. Generosity matters, because generosity has the capacity to bring hope in the worst situations. Practicing generosity can reorient lives away from small selfishness toward abundance, toward joy, toward the way of Jesus. Generosity is about what we do with our money, yes, and it is also how we spend our time, how we spend the currency of our lives. Many of you have heard me quote my former rector in Washington, the Reverend Dr. Luis Leon, when talking about generosity and money. You'll probably hear me say this again in this giving season. Money is a powerful tool, Luis used to say. Money is a powerful tool. If you can give away some of your money, you have power over that tool. If you can't give away some of your money, it has power over you. Generosity is an orientation, an economic orientation and a spiritual orientation. I hope you have a practice of generosity, one that you continue to develop. I hope you value the work that Holy Communion is doing enough that, when you, that you want to give some of your money away here, that you want to support our annual campaign. I hope you will be convinced by the planning your vestry has done and that you will want to give some money again when our capital campaign kicks off to renovate this space. But more than that, I hope your practice of generosity spills out beyond wealth and beyond these walls. I know for a fact, for so many of you it does. I know I am gifted to serve in such a generous congregation. Generosity is a practice. And like most practices, we get better at it the more we practice. Jesus invites his followers, don't be confined by scarcity. Don't be confined by your many possessions. Be inspired by others who light the way. Give your time. Give your talent. Give your treasure. Light up the dark. Come and follow me, Jesus says. Your generosity might just change the world. Amen.